Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day and the privilege that you've given us to be together and to offer our sacrifices of praise uh, to your name. And Father, I do just pray that uh, you would bless our time in your word, that you would grant us great understanding, and that we would have hearts that are changed and uh, more like your son Jesus, so that you would be greatly magnified. We thank you for this time, and we commit it to you now. In his precious name, amen. Now, you're probably all aware that the Christian uh, life is no cakewalk. Um, We know that it doesn't take long for the tremendous uh, blessing of a new relationship with the living God, the forgiveness of sins, the joy of uh, future glory, the joy of future glory to to begin to fade in a sense, not that we don't uh, understand it and know about it, but other things begin to take its place in our mind. It's not that we're not thankful for these wonderful things. It's just that the life of faith for a believer is tough, is tough. Um, the reality is we're going to be tested. We're in a fight to trust in the Lord. And we have external uh, temptations uh, coming from the world, uh, from uh, Satan, our enemy. Uh, we also have internal weaknesses. We have our flesh. We have our personalities, emotions, fears, which uh, test, in a sense, the strength of our faith, our trust in the Lord. But sometimes uh, these tests come in a manner that can catch us off guard, that can catch us off guard. And so how are we to respond when we are tested for our faith? First Peter, Peter writes in First Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. We as believers should not be surprised. Uh, We should understand that things are going to come. James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brethren. Uh, That doesn't say complain, does it? No, it says consider it all joy, my brethren, uh, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so we know that they're coming, and yet that doesn't mean we don't struggle in difficulty and we bring those things before the Lord. He wants us to do so, casting our cares upon him, for he cares for us. But what are we to do? How are we to respond when we are tested in the midst of our faith, when our faith is tested? How should we respond? Well, we're just about finished on our on our uh, interim uh, portion before we go to our next book, and so... Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22? Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to take a look at the prime example on how to respond when our faith is tested. We're going to look at Abraham. Now, for some of you who were with us a few years ago, we studied the book of Genesis. You'll remember this book was written by Moses, inspired by the Spirit initially for the Israelites who were on the plains of Moab, ready to enter the land. And yet this book is eternally profitable for every believer, as are the rest of the scriptures. Now, after giving the history of mankind from God's perspective, his perfect, blessed creation, and then man's fall into sin and the subsequent consequences, the Lord begins to share his redemptive plan, and he begins to share that in the context of the life of Abraham that the Lord would bring back salvation blessing, bring, bring salvation blessing through the seed of 
Abraham that is Christ. And so in chapters 12 through 21, we have the life of Abraham, a man who responded to the Lord's call, who believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And here we see his walk of faith, although not perfect, yet growing, yet growing. And within these portions, we see some extremely important lessons the Lord wants us to learn about faith. Because scripture reveals that Abraham is the paradigm of what a true believer looks like, the paradigm of faith. And he is the father, a paradigm, or father of faith, and is God's prime example for us. And now today, we come to the pinnacle in the life of Abraham as we look at God's testing of Abraham when he is called to offer his only son. And certainly we're going to see how Abraham responds to this testing, but we're also going to see in this true story, it foreshadows what Christ would do for us. So again, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Let's take a look at Genesis 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him caught in the thicket by his horns, excuse me, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand, and as the sand which is in the sea sh- on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of, the, of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now it came about after these things that it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, 
Uz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother, and Kimuel, the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jilapf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahar, Abram's brother, and his concubines who were whose name was Rumah, and also bore Teba, and Gehem, and Tahash, and Makah. Now it's uh, probably already evident to you, if you're not familiar, or if you are familiar with this passage, that this is an incredible passage. And it's an incredible passage that not only reveals the testing of Abraham and his response, but it foreshadows what God would do through giving his only son for us and providing a substitute for our uh, benefit so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. So the reality is, if you're a true believer, your faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. It's going to be tested. And if it's tested, how will you respond? How should we respond? Again, let's take a look at Abraham's example and notice uh, that God is going to test us. God is going to test us. And he's going to do so to prove our faith genuine and to bless us. God tests us, true believers, to prove or demonstrate we have genuine faith and then to bless us, as we will see with Abraham. Again, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which, which, with which, of which I will tell you. So our passage begins with this phrase, now it came about after these things. And so obviously he's talking about what happened in the end of chapter 21. And if you were with us when we went through that portion, you would remember that God was faithful to Abraham. God was faithful to him. That indeed he was walking with the Lord and he experienced the Lord's provision and protection in regarding, or regarding the Philistines. And they, he received provision also in spite of his past failures. Indeed, the Lord used a pagan king uh, whom we saw, who, who saw that God was with Abraham in all he did. So God had protected Abraham and he had provided for him. But although, and, and it says there actually in the end of chapter 21, and Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. He's a sojourner, right? Although God had promised the land, he was looking for a better country, a heavenly one. As we see in Hebrews chapter 11. And indeed, he was a sojourner on the earth like you and I. We are sojourners on this earth. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, We are looking for a better place. If this is the place you're looking for and you want to make it great or whatever it might be, it's not going to be that way. The reality is we are looking for a better place, a better place. And so then, we see this test of Abraham. So we come to our passage. It says, after these things, it says that God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. And what was the test? Severe test here. Think about it. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So the Lord God uses this language. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Now throughout our passage, we see these phrases, your son, your only son. Now was this Abraham's only son? 
Well, Abraham had a son, if you'll remember, through Hagar, right? Ishmael. But through Sarah, the one in whom the promise would come, he did not have a son until Isaac, who was brought forth miraculously in Abraham's and Sarah's old age. Indeed, uh, and he was, as we'll see, this, his only son uh, was born from Sarah, Isaac. And indeed, we see back in chapter 12, more than 25 years earlier, that the Lord had promised Abram that he would make him a great nation. And this is back in chapter 12. And in his seed, all the nations or families of the earth should be or shall be blessed. And ultimately, we see in Galatians chapter 3 that he was referring ultimately to Christ, the seed of Abraham, who would take on human flesh and die for our sins and bring the offer of salvation blessing to every nation. All the nations would be blessed. Then in chapter 15, the Lord made it clear that the heir, this heir, would not be from his, would not be his servant Eliezer, but it would come from his own flesh. And his descendants would be numerous as the stars. And then the Lord affirmed his covenant with Abraham in chapter 17. He made it clear that Abraham would be the father of a multitude of nations, chapter 17, verse 4. And in the same chapter, the Lord made it clear that he would have a son by Sarah. And this heir would not be of Ishmael, but would be of Sarah. In chapter 18, the Lord made it clear to Abraham and Sarah, who was listening, right, <laughs> that the appointed time in, in which he would bring forth uh, this child through Sarah. And the Lord God did so as he promised, Genesis 21. So this is an incredible test because all of the promises that God has made, the miraculous birth, all of it's going to come through Isaac. And now he's saying, take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and later on we'll see in, in uh, Hebrews that the, it's your only begotten, it's a unique son, the one that the promises come through. And take him and your only son whom you love and then offer him up. And so we have these statements here. Take your only son and notice what he says, whom you love. This is a son Abraham loved. If you've had children, you understand that. Or relatives that you love, your parents, whatever it might be, whom you love love and go to Moriah sacrifice him as a burnt offering he's saying basically where I tell you where I tell you now we had this read in Hebrews chapter 11 earlier but we have in chapter 11 verse 17 by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he had whom he had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son monogenes the unique son and in verse 18 of Hebrews 11, and it was through him it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. So Abraham has only one son concerning the promises. He has one son, a unique son concerning the promise, and that is Isaac. And he is to offer, take now the son whom you love. Can you imagine this? Abraham waits 25 years for Isaac to be born, a miraculous birth, uh, and he loves him dearly. The son in whom all the promises that Abraham believed uh, would come through. And now God is asking him to sacrifice him. We think our trials are tough. This is a trial that's beyond uh, our, our understanding, I think. No one here has ever had to do anything like this or been asked by God to do anything. Absolutely not. Abraham is being tested here. 
Now, I'm not saying that our trials are not worthy to bring before the throne of God, but what I'm saying is we have no clue to the magnitude of the trial that Abraham is being tested concerning in this situation. And we need to recognize that no matter how difficult our trials are, that we need to come and see how Abraham responded to this trial, and God will use that to help us through our trials. So then, this test has to do with his love for God and his love for his child, his belief in what God has said and promised, and his trust in the Lord. You know, the Lord Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? We know uh, very clearly in Matthew chapter 10 that we cannot love our families more than the Lord. It doesn't mean we treat our families badly, but the Lord has to have our highest love. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he who loves, Jesus says, mother, father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me after me is not worthy of me. So here uh, we have uh, a incredible test of Abraham. Now, some would say there's an apparent theological difficulty. And you say, what do I mean here? Well, the word used in Hebrews chapter 11 for test in the Greek is the same word that can be translated in James, tempted. But yet we know that God does not tempt anyone. Yet we see here God is testing, same word. So does God tempt us? Well, the word in Hebrews chapter 11 and in the Greek translation of Genesis 22 is and it speaks of trying uh, to examine, to test, to prove, and that's in a good sense, or in a negative sense, it can speak of being tempted. And so it depends on the context, on the context. And we know from the book of James, and turn there, we know from the book of James that it cannot be a temptation, that it has to be a test or approving because of what God says. We interpret scripture. What scripture? James chapter 1, uh, verse 13. And we have this, this, this word here. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. James 1, 13. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. This is not about tempting Abraham. This is not a temptation. It is a test. It's a test, as we will see. It is God proving something, as we'll see. And indeed, this word speaks of proving something to be genuine. Speaks of proving something to be genuine. You see, God does not tempt anyone, yet he tries and tests and proves men and women's faith. And ultimately for believers, so that blessing would come. So that blessing would come. He does not tempt anyone. God And God's testing is always good. It's always good. Indeed, the scriptures reveal the reason why God tests the faith of those who are his. I mentioned this earlier, but let's look at a few of these. If you're still in the book of James, uh, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy. Reckon it. It may not be joyful, but reckon it to be so. You've got to make a mental decision that this is going to, the outcome is going to be joyful. The outcome, what God is doing. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter, the term speaks of a ship coming upon a reef. It's just happened. All of a sudden you hit something. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing 
of your faith or the proving, this is for brethren, this is for believers, that the proving of your faith, the proving it to be genuine produces something. Proving it to be genuine produces something. He says here that the proving of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what God is doing. He is proving your faith and that brings about endurance, okay? Look down at verse 12 of James chapter 1. Blessed is a man, this is blessing, right? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, that's that same word, tested to approval. Once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. How about 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12? I read this earlier, but let's turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. We need to read this. When we go through difficulties, now some of them, by the way, are because of our sin. Abraham experienced some of that. Some of uh, our difficulties are because God is disciplining us. If we're genuine and we got to always go and, and get our hearts clean before the Lord and take care of that if we're being disciplined. God is trying to spank us so that we will do what's right. And he's doing it for good, for, 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 for good that we would share in his holiness. But there are times when we are tested. We encounter trials which are not because of our sin. And we see here what we are to do. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, this is uh, those who are loved by the Lord. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. Or the term means to, to test, to prove genuine. Now certainly if you're testing to prove genuine, it will expose if it's not, right? We'll see that God's testing certainly for believers is to prove it genuine. It's to that they would endure, that they would endurance would be produced. They'd be more like Christ, complete lacking nothing. But it also exposes those who aren't his or are in sin. It's going to show where your faith is really at. Don't be surprised at the fiery deal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are revolved in the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And then turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1. God is testing. He is testing. It's for good for believers, by the way. It's for good. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, he's going to talk about in this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice. That's the salvation we have. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have an inheritance that's undefiled, imperishable, won't fade away, reserved to heaven. We have this tremendous salvation. So he says in verse 6 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, in this you greatly rejoice, hey, in your salvation, right? And he says, even though now for a little while, and I like this word because we don't like to be tested all the time, right? If necessary, right? If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials that the proof, the proof, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The proof of your faith, the proof that it is genuine, is precious, more valuable than gold and silver. It's precious. God does test 
our faith. And the result of this proving brings great joy, maturity, and blessing to us from God. Now, we don't see that. When we go into a trial, we don't think of joy that's going to come, maturity in Christ, and blessing. We think of, oh, no, right? We need to recognize what's happening. He's going to bring about joy eventually through how he resolves the trial, brings it forth, proves your faith. He's going to bring about maturity. You're going to grow uh, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. And he's going to bless you. Blessed are those who persevere through trial, right? Right? There's blessing. So then, with that, uh, we should be wise knowing that trusting is coming. And we should be preparing for it by hiding God's word in our hearts so that we don't get caught off guard by those fiery ordeals. You know, we prepare our houses for the coming winter. We prepare in advance for vacations. we got a list of stuff if we're going to do it. We're preparing for all our moves and stuff. We prepare, but we need to prepare for the inevitable reality that our faith is going to be tested. We need to prepare by hiding God's word in our heart. Should we not be preparing for spiritual realities also? Absolutely. So then, back to our passage in Genesis 22. The Lord is testing Abraham or literally proving Abraham. He's proving him. Back to our passage, verse 1 of Genesis 22. Now it came about after these things, that God's faithfulness to Abraham, he is with him in, in, with that Pharaoh situation, with that king situation, not Pharaoh, but king situation, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I will tell you. Remember, Abraham has been sojourning in Beersheba. That's the southern portion of the land of Canaan. And the Lord tells him to go to the land of Moriah. Now, where is that? Well, in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, we gain insight into where the land of Moriah is. And we'll read this for you. Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. How about that? Now, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Oman, the Jebusite. So here we have the place where the temple is, where Solomon built the temple. But if you know the topography, there is a ridge there in which the temple proceeds. It is connected to the same hill in which was called Golgotha. Golgotha, the place of the skull, in which Latin we have the term Calvary, skull. That's what that means. At Calvary, that's where Jesus was crucified. So God is telling Abraham, take your only son, whom he loves, to, from Beersheba to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Here's the one. I'm going to show you where, where you're going to offer him. Where you're going to offer him. Now he says here, he talks about a burnt offering. Well, what is that about? We haven't even had the law yet. Moses isn't even there yet, Right? So what's he talking about, this burnt offering? Now remember, uh, believers back in the time of Adam offered up by faith uh, offerings. Remember righteous Abel in Genesis 4 offered by faith, right? Hebrews chapter 11. In chapter 8 of Genesis verse 22, Noah offered every clean animal and bird as a burnt offering on the altar. Noah did. Noah had a basic understanding that something spotless would need to be, would need to die. And he believed the truth in seed form. As we know, Noah had found favor with God. He was righteous, right? 
he believed understanding concerning Eve's seed who would be crushed temporarily to, to destroy Satan. To destroy Satan. And we have Abraham doing the same thing. Indeed, in chapter 12, he built an altar when he came to Canaan, when the Lord appeared to him. And then east at Bethel, he built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord, and he was worshiping the Lord. So in some way or fashion, the Lord had revealed to Abraham this physical picture of true spiritual worship in seed form, uh, all based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to come. So then, what is a burnt offering? Well, in our passage, chapter 22, we have a detailed picture of a burnt offering. Abraham would would uh, be ready to sacrifice his only son, but yet God would supply a ram instead, pointing to the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Now, further on in Exodus chapter 10, Moses told Pharaoh that they needed to take their cattle also into the wilderness to offer burnt offerings. Chapter 10, and then in chapter 18 of Exodus, we see Jethro, Moses' father, offering a burnt offering to God. And the Israelites did so also when they received the law at Mount Sinai, Exodus 20 and 24. So what's a burnt offering? Well, we know from the law of Moses that was given later, the same Moses writing inspired by the Spirit who wrote Genesis, right? Um, uh, That burnt offerings were sacrifices of specific clean animals, Uh, in which the animal would be slain and then consumed by fire. We know in Leviticus it was for personal atonement of sin. It was a picture of what would happen through Jesus Christ. This offering is a picture for what Christ would do for us, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God offered up, consumed, an acceptable sacrifice for sin. And so back in Genesis, we already have the picture in which Noah recognized his sinfulness, offered up clean animals, uh, not to bring forgiveness, but in faith for foreshadowing that sacrifice which would come through, as we see, Eve's seed and thus Abraham's seed, uh, the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. So then we have the Lord commanding Abraham to offer his only son as a burnt offering. I can't think of a greater test. I can't. You love your son, offer him as a burnt offering. So God tested, or as we'll see, proved Abraham by asking him to give up his greatest treasure, his son whom he loved, his only son, and the same son in whom were the promises that Abraham had believed, that Abraham believed. This is going to prove his faith in those promises, isn't it? It's going to prove his faith in the Lord, isn't it? Yes. So the Lord is testing to prove our faith. We're going to see this when he tests us. So then, as for the true believer, we need to recognize the Lord is going to test our faith. He's going to test it to prove it. He's going to test it so that we would endure. He's going to test it that we would mature and that we would be blessed. But also for those who aren't walking with the Lord or aren't his, those tests are going to show you where your faith is or really isn't, by the way where it isn't, okay? So if you're following along on the surface in our reasoning, we have a dilemma here now, right? We have a dilemma. Offer your son, and this is the one in whom the promises are coming. We have a dilemma. The promise is clear. Hebrews 11:18. It is he in whom we have said, In Isaac your descendant shall be called. Now offer him, and he's going to die. That's what happens. It's a burnt offering. He dies, and he's burned up and consumed. So why would God ask Abraham to do such a thing? On the surface, it seems like it's totally out of character for a loving God to ask Abraham to do such a thing. God is certainly against human sacrifice, right? 
So also at the time it could appear that uh, this contradicted the promises of God, which it did, it seemed to. You know, so many times this is where we are stuck, by the way. We get into a trial and we desire to resolve the, in, the unresolvable. Uh, we need to uh, be assured beyond what God has said. But rather, as we're going to see here, Abraham was assured in what God had said, and he understood that, and he stood by it. You see, we always want way more assurance than what God has given us, which is enough. Which is enough. And Abraham is our example here. We see his faith growing and growing and growing to the point where we have this test. So first of all, we need to recognize the testing is going to come. If, if, if necessary, it's going to come, right? But secondly, we need to learn by Abraham's response to this testing, okay? So what did, how did, what did he do? Verse 3, back in Genesis 22 again. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. We're going to see Abraham was obedient. He was obedient. He did what God said. And he did it right away. He did it right away. Abraham's faith was manifest in obedience. You see, when we don't obey God, we're not trusting God because we're trying to work it out our way, and that's why we're not obeying. We need to trust God, and we need to obey him. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Here we see a summary of what he does, and he, he obeys. He obeys. And this is faith. Faith will manifest in obedience to the God in whom we believe and trust. All right? It's personal. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, did what? Offered up Isaac, whom he had rece- who received the promises, was offering his only begotten son. It says, and he whom he received the promises was offering his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, to Isaac, your descendant shall be called. And then look at verse 19. He considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Received him back as a type. So then, it is by faith that Abraham offered up Isaac, as we'll say. And notice the details of this faith. Let's make some observations. So again, back in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and settled his donkey, took two of his young men. This is quick obedience. God says do it, and Abraham does it. He does it. There's no delay. It was immediate. No questions, no grumbling, no figuring it out. He simply obeyed. This is genuine biblical faith. Obeying. You see, obeying what God says is clear commands. These are clear commands, by the way. Obeying is is not not something that, that needed to be figured out. It was clear commands. Take your son. Go do this. Go do this. It's very clear. And we can learn from this. His faith was manifest in obedience. And this testing wasn't over in just a couple minutes. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split wood for the offering and arose to the place which God had told him he did what he needed to do. He even did things. God didn't say go split wood. He said go offer him. So Abraham did what he needed to do to do it for a burnt offering. Right? And guess what? This test was not over right away. On the third day, look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place for a distance. Three days. Three days journey from Beersheba to Moriah. 
And it's here we begin to see the parallelism and the typology between this event and what Christ would do for us. You see, Abraham, for Abraham, Isaac was initially as good as dead for three days. He's on his way to kill me. He's as good as dead. And if you'll remember that Christ was in the tomb for three days before he rose, we're going to see the typology. So you can imagine the intense difficulty of this testing for Abraham, what he's going through. And look at verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I will go, and I and the lad will go yonder. And notice this, this is beautiful. And we will worship and return to you. We will worship and return to you. This is an incredible statement of faith. And we're going to look at it more deeply. But notice, Abraham sees what God has called him to do in this burnt offering as worship. He sees this worship and he says, we will worship and return to you. That is faith. He knows and he considered, like we saw in Hebrews, that God is able to raise him from the dead. He knows the promises are coming. He believes it all the way. And he's taking his son and he's going to worship. He's going to worship the Lord. It's an act of worship. You see, when we step out in obedience by the power of God, we're worshiping God. We're worshiping and we obey what he says. When we're walking with him, obeying his word, we're, 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 we're honoring him. We're, we're, we're lifting him on high. We're worshiping. This puts a monkey wrench into a lot of the church's modern day view of worship, which is simply just music. Worship is ascribing to God the worth due his name based on the truth that he's revealed about himself. And it comes in the context of spirit-led obedience in the truth. We worship in spirit and in truth. You see, we should be worshiping him throughout the week, offering ourselves in obedience as living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So now notice Abraham's obedience and worship was based on confidence in the Lord. He says, we will worship, I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. Amazing statement. We read it in Hebrews, back in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 18, or 19. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. And he, it says here, which he also received him back as a type. You see, he received his son back as a type of Christ raising from the dead, right? We see that picture. We see that picture. So he considered, he reckoned that God is able to raise him from the dead. Now, I haven't heard seen any much resurrection back in Genesis up to this point. He considered, he considered that God is able to do so, even raise men from the dead. Now, that is faith. He trusted in God, and he trusted in his promises. He trusted in his promises. One pastor writes, here's the point our writer is making. When your faith is tested, it will be, and find an anchor, it will be an anchor in your soul, believing God's word. Abraham could endure the greatest trial of his life because he knew the word of God was sure, and he could stand upon what God had spoken, even though he couldn't answer all the whys and, and whatevers. The reality is Abraham believed he believed God, and he couldn't answer all the questions. So what situation are you being tested in? What would God say about it in his word? What are you to do in obedience and faith? 
If you're having problems at work, submit to your boss, 1 Peter 2. Do your work under the Lord, Colossians. If you're having marital problems, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit as to the Lord, respect. If you're having problems with your children, teach them the word, Deuteronomy 6. Discipline them righteously, Proverbs. Need wisdom, ask without doubting, James chapter 1. Struggle with anxiety, humbly pray, request, and focus on God, Philippians 4. Struggling with physical provision, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Obey the word of God. Obey the word of God. We're tempted to complain. He says, do all things without complaining and grumbling. Obey the word of God. So believe what God has said and step out in obedience. And so Abraham, is, it reveals in the writer of Hebrews, reveals that he believed God could raise him from the dead. That he would receive, and thus his son back who was as good as dead. It was a type of God the Father receiving his son back, his only begotten son, when he rose from the dead. He received him back as a type, Hebrews says. That points clearly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ also. So then look at our passage. Notice what happens next, verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked together. And here again we have a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. Christ would carry his own cross, and Abraham would have his son carry the wood, the very wood which he would be burned upon as a sacrifice which he was, would to be. And the end of verse 6, so the two of them walked on together. Is that not what happened with the father and the son as the son obeyed the father perfectly as he walked towards the cross and went to the cross for us? Now notice Isaac is starting to wonder something here, okay? And Isaac spoke to Abraham, verse 7, his father said, uh, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood... Uh, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? <laughs> this is a good question, isn't it? Obviously, Abraham hasn't given him all the uh, information yet. And so how old is Isaac at this point? Uh, in verse 5, uh, he's called his son a lad. Uh, that speaks of a boy or a youth, a young man. How old is he? Well, some have said he's in his 30s because of the age given for Sarah in chapter 23. And I don't quite agree with that. Because at the end of our passage, it says Abraham lived in Beersheba for many years. So it implies some time passing. So we find uh, Sarah also died in Hebron in, in chapter 23. So from chapter 21, we know that the boy was weaned. Then Abraham lived in the land of the Philistine many days. So he was probably a teenager or a young adult. That's probably how old he was. And I lean towards a teenager because of the way he speaks to his dad, calling him my father. My father, I think that's the case. So we look at Isaac's very logical question, and this gives us insight into Abraham and his training, by the way, of his son, by the way. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, my father. He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac knows about burnt offerings. He knows about burnt offerings. He understood that there would need to be the wood, uh, and uh, the fire, and he understood that an animal would need to be killed. Abraham had been faithful to what he had been called to do back in Genesis chapter 18. Put your finger back there for a second. Genesis 18. And look at verse 17. Train your kids. Train your kids about the Lord. 
and about his ways. Genesis 18:17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed? For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. I chose him to have his kids obey me, keep the way of the Lord. Very interesting there. Very interesting. That's one element. And so Isaac understands. He understands about the burnt offering. He understands about worship. And so he says, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And what is Abraham's response back in 22? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb, the burnt offering, my son. We learn from Abraham. He is not spitting out everything that's on his heart to his son. He is trusting the Lord and sharing what he needs to share at the right time. He's sharing what he needs to share at the right time. So often in our trials, we want to spill every bit of our heart to everyone so they know exactly what's going on when Abraham is being very careful here in what he's doing and he trusts the Lord. He trusts the Lord. He says here, God will provide for himself and that's who it is. That's who you're offering to. He understood that. To himself for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide. Remember, the burnt offering is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. God will provide the lamb. What incredible faith Abraham had. He knows that God has asked him to do. He knows what he's asked him, and he trusts that God will provide. The term provide here in Hebrew, ra'ah, speaks of to see. It speaks of looking with an eye of providing. God's going to provide. So what happens? End of verse 8. So the two of them walked on together. And we have this this phrase repeated, right? They had it earlier speaks of the unity between the Father and Son, and we have the same thing pictured in Christ and the Father, right? Foreshadowing the unity of the Father and Son when Christ went to the cross. Notice verse 9, they arrive. So then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there. He arranged wood. He got to do a bunch of stuff. Built an altar, arranged the wood. And can you imagine this test for Abraham? He loves his son, yet God called upon him to sacrifice him. And notice, Isaac is now certainly aware of what's going on. They came to the place which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac. Obviously, Isaac allowed him to do so. Think of Abraham. He's a pretty old guy, 100 so, what is he, you know? And uh, his son probably could have taken him on pretty easily, right? He's, he's submitting there, right? Bound his son Isaac and laid him on the top of the altar of the wood. And so here we obviously have the willing involvement of Isaac, Abraham's son. Uh, if he was unwilling, he would have. He would have probably could have got out of there, could have ran away or whatever. This obviously foreshadows, I believe, the willingness of our Savior, who willingly offered Himself up for us. There's so many pictures in this. No one took Jesus' life; He willingly laid it down. John 10 for us. So what happens? And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He's obeying the Lord all the way through, all the way through. In his mind, Isaac is going to die. He has a deep trust in the Lord. Deep trust in the Lord. Think of what Job said. Though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. That's how faith responds. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to believe what he said. I believe what he says. We need to see the test the Lord brings in our lives as a test to prove our faith. And we should have an unwavering commitment to obey the Lord in the midst of these tests. To obey. 
We see this in Abraham. So what happens? Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called from heaven, called to him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He was willing to obey God and sacrifice his son to the Lord, to give it all up for the Lord, to obey him. And the Lord stopped him. Now we have the term angel, or literally messenger of the Lord, calls out to Abraham. We know back in chapter 18, this term, the angel of the Lord, speaks of the Lord himself. Not an angel, a messenger, but the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament here. Does not speak of an angelic being, but the Lord himself. It's clear that this is the Lord speaking because of the context. Look in verse 12. For now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This is the Lord. This is the Lord God. God is the one who asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. So the angel Lord called to Abraham second time from heaven, verse 15, look at this, and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord. This is the Lord. So then, it's none other than the great I am, the, the Lord himself, and who in the nick of time has stopped Abraham. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for I now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, did God not know that Abraham feared him? God knows everything. But what he's saying here now, by practical experience, Abraham's deeds have manifest that fear of him. His deeds have manifested it has been made known. It has been made known. Abraham truly had a relationship with the Lord. He feared him. He reverenced him and his word, and he obeyed him. He obeyed him. You see, if you don't fear God, you don't obey God. Okay? If you fear him, you have a relationship with him. You honor him as God, and God asks you to do something, you do it. You honor him as God. You see, the Lord is going to test or prove our faith. And uh, it's going to bring about, and if we're truly trusting him, it's going to bring about obedience. This couldn't have been a greater test. It hinged on, all the promises hinged on Isaac, his only son. He loved him. And Abraham did not withhold his only son. And in parallel, God did not withhold his only son. Romans chapter 8, 32, he, didn't, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? If God would not withhold his very son, how will he not give us these lesser things, right? So again, we have a picture of God, what he would do for us in the testing of Abraham. So then, what are we to do when we're tested? We need to know it's coming. And we need to respond like Abraham, who believed and thus obeyed the Lord. And notice, we need to be encouraged by the blessing that comes from obedience. There's a blessing. There's no blessing for disobedience. I'll tell you that right now. We all know that. There's blessing for obedience. There's blessing. Now notice what he says, middle of verse 12. For now I know you fear God. One of the things that God does in testing is he assures us that we truly have a relationship with him. We are feeble. We trust the Lord. We know him, but we, we, we waver. We, we, we think all kinds of things at times because of whatever it might be. 
God tests us to prove to us, at least, and others, our faith. He's testing, the testing of our faith. He helps us know if you're a genuine, even Christian, a genuine Christian. He's going to test your faith to show you you're the real deal. You're the real deal. Again, uh, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man, because he's going he's to receive a crown of life. He's really, truly alive, okay, in Christ. Blessed is the man who perseveres under a trial, for once he's been approved or tested to approval, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, genuine faith is, is the only faith that saves, by the way. There's bogus faith out there, but it is genuine faith that saves. Turn to James chapter 2. And genuine faith will work its way out in obedience, especially when tested. James chapter 2. And the key to interpreting James chapter 2 is understanding verse 14, by the way. And I'll read that for you. James 2 verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if man says he has faith? It's the faith from the, they say they do. Okay, I, I believe in Jesus, whatever it might be, but he has no works. Can that faith save him? The rest of the discussion is about saving faith. Now, all faith and same faith and regular faith is the same, but there's a bogus faith that's not true faith, and that's the difference. Look at verse 19 of James 2. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe Demons also believe in shudder. Hey, it's not simply just uh, attaining the facts. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the altar? You see, faith was working. Here you go. It's faith. It wasn't, we didn't, you didn't get, we justified by faith, but his faith was manifest that he was righteous. He says, your faith, you see, his faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected or brought to completion. That's what that means. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That happened earlier. Abraham believed he was reckoned as righteousness, but that righteous relationship of faith he had was manifest later on when he obeyed the Lord. When he was tested, it was proven to be genuine. Proven to be genuine. You see, I don't see God testing true believers to crush them. We see that God tests true believers not to fail us. He tests true believers to prove or demonstrate our faith, that we would endure, that we would mature, and that we would be blessed. You see, if I know I'm truly his, I'm going to endure. If I see his faithfulness in my life, I'm going to endure. If I see that, you see... He does it to demonstrate our true faith. So he brings back uh, this true, wonderful reality here for us to see. Now looking here at our passage, notice he was blessed. He was blessed with a provision instead of Isaac. Look at back in our passage. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram caught in a thicket. God provided. Abraham, remember he said, the Lord will provide this, this ram. And he was ready to give his son all the way there, and the Lord provided. He raised his eyes, behold, behind him in, a, in a, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Isn't that wonderful? And Abraham called the, the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day in the mount 
of the Lord, it will be provided. And I believe that's pointing to what Christ would do for us on that very same mountain, that he would be given as a sacrifice in our place to die for our sins, to bring about the forgiveness of sins. So Abraham sees a male sheep, a ram, all of a sudden, isn't that wonderful, caught in a thicket, and he offers him, took him and offered him up in the place the Lord will provide. You see, we see all the foreshadowing that Christ would do. He would die in our place. He would offer, be offered for us. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. That's speaking of the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then look what Abraham does. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide and it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Jehovah Yahweh, or Yahweh Yahweh, the Lord will provide. He sees with an eye towards provision. Boy, if we just remember that. Obey the Lord, he's going to provide. Obey the Lord, he's going to take care of you. Trust him, trust him. Now let me share and briefly review all the foreshadowing we see that points to Christ, and then we'll, we'll finish up. In verse 2, Isaac is spoken of as his only begotten, which surely the parallelism, Christ is the only begotten son from the father. Also in verse 2, the place where Isaac was sacrificed, most likely the same place Jesus died for our sins, Mount Moriah. In verse 4, it's the third day when they arrived at Mount Moriah, we see that parallelism. In verse 5, the assurance of the return after death prefigures Christ's resurrection. In verse 6, Isaac carried the wood to be offered and Jesus carried his cross that he would be sacrificed upon. In verses 6 and 8, Abraham and Isaac walked together to the place where the father would sacrifice his son. We have the same thing with the father and Jesus and trusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And then we see in verses 10 through 14, just as God provided a substitute sacrifice, Jesus was provided by God in our place. And then we see in our close in verses 15 to 18, which we'll see in a moment, that blessing came from this offering, pointing to and prefiguring the blessing of salvation that would come through obedience through Jesus' death. God deeply loved Abraham in this seemingly awful test, turned out to be a demonstration of his great love and desire to bless Abraham and to reveal that ultimate blessing through his own son, Jesus Christ, a picture of provision for us. So now as we finish, not only was Abraham blessed with God's provision of a substitute, he was blessed with an affirmation of the tremendous promises to him. Notice in verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, and it's because of his obedience in the context of faith. By the way, remember, by faith, Abraham offered his son. Hebrews 11 is by faith. His faith brought about obedience. He says, Indeed, I will greatly bless you. Indeed, I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand, as the, and as the sand which is on the seashore. Your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. God blessed him. The Lord uh, was fully aware of what he called him to do, right? And, and what he was doing through it. 
And Abraham, not understanding, not knowing, obeyed, and God provided for him. God says, by myself I have sworn to close the Lord because you've done this thing and not withheld your son. And notice he says, your only son. He knows how much you meant to him. So through this acknowledgement of God's deep personal testing of Abraham, calling upon him to give his only son, he reiterates and affirms the promises that he had made to Abraham. And the most important promise, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice. Just think, we could have rationalized if I obey his voice, then he's going to die and the promises won't be, won't be fulfilled. No, that's not true. Obey God. He's going to provide. He's going to provide. He's going to take care of the promises. So then Abraham's a genuine, true believer. His faith worked, and God would bring through his seed salvation, blessing through Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, the Lord honors obedience in the context of faith. In the context of faith. And here we see he's going to fulfill the promises he made through Abraham's seed. When you obey, there is blessing. There is blessing when you obey. It's not that you obey to get. It's just blessing because you're right with the Lord and we'll see. Let me share a few passages about obedience and blessing. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, verse 26. And the Lord God is talking about uh, the, the, the Jewish nation that, that uh, was very idolatrous. And then uh, after they came back from exile, they cleaned themselves up. You don't see any idolatry at all. But they were incredibly wicked. And he uses an example of demons, by the way, to explain. He says, then it goes on and takes seven of their spirits, more evil than itself, Luke 11:26, And they go to live there, and the last state becomes worse than the first. That's what Israel was with that example. And then he says, and it came about while he said these things. He's while he's saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice. There's always somebody that raises their voice and wants to say something spiritual to get some uh, credit, basically, probably. So she's going to say a spiritual thing here. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which you nursed, which nursed you. But Jesus said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. You're blessed if you hear the word of God in your marriage and you observe it. You're blessed you hear the word of God in your work and you observe it. You're blessed you hear the word of God concerning all your life and you observe it. You're blessed. You're blessed. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life. If you are revived in the name of Christ, First Peter 4.12, you are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. And that's the context of trials. So then Abraham went through an excruciating test because he was a true believer. And he trusted God, he obeyed his word, and he's blessed. And the Lord honors obedience in the context of faith. He is pleased when we trust him. It pleases him. So then, back in our passage, let's finish up. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. That's back in Genesis 22:19. And notice our chapter closes here with a uh, with a statement that seems disconnected and maybe doesn't make any sense, but I think it makes a lot of sense if we look at it. Now it came about after these things that Abraham was that it was told Abraham saying, "Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor." This seems to be inimportant, right? But let's read on. Us. His firstborn and Buzz, his brother. Those are some good names, right? Us and Buzz, right? (laughs) 
Okay. And uh, Kimuel, his the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jilaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel became the father of who? Rebekah. Rebekah. These eight, Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and his concubine, whose name was Rumah, also bore Teba, and Gehem, and Tahash, and Milcah. The Lord is providing here. Abraham is blessed with the knowledge of his brother's offspring, and we are blessed with the knowledge that the God would provide for Isaac, Rebekah, right? So then how we respond when our faith is tested. We've seen the ultimate test, Abraham uh, being told to give up his son, right? To offer his son. We can learn from his response. He obeyed God. He trusted God through and through. And we also see a wonderful picture of his offering up and then the provision given in 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 the Lord providing in his place that ram, the wonderful provision of our Savior Jesus Christ. Some of you have been tested, and it's shown you there where your faith is really at, and maybe it's not there. Uh, maybe you don't know the Lord. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Uh, some of you have been tested and you failed, or maybe you've been disciplined. God is gracious. Just confess, be forgiven, uh, share in his holiness. Uh, let the gym of his discipline train you uh, so that you would be like him. He loves you. But some of you are being tested. And we've seen how to respond to that test. Obey the Lord, believe what he said, and know that he's going to bring about his will and his ways, which are good and are full of his blessing if we trust him and obey him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for uh, this wonderful true story. And Lord, I just pray that we would not let it slip from our hearts that we would respond like Abraham did, but we would uh, remember, we would look in your word and remind our hearts that uh, of what he did and that we would be like him, trusting and obeying, Lord God. So I thank you for your servant Abraham, and I pray that we would be the same and that we would allow you to prove the faith that we would endure and that we would mature and that we would be blessed. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.